So what a pleasure to be here in this previously secret uh, basement auditorium. Uh, who knows what incredible films would have been shown here um, during the earlier incarnation of this building. Of course, a great piece of London architecture with Czech intonations into it, as you would expect. Huge thanks to Prem, Renata, everybody at the Czech Centre for hosting this conversation. We're live streaming on Instagram. We are recording for the podcast. We're speaking, of course, to you in person here. Um, and so we have many, many options available to us. We're embodying, in a way, Teresa's own uh, hybrid and multimedia project. I'd like to start this conversation um, uh, with some leading questions, of course, to Teresa. As you will have heard, many thanks indeed for the presentation with The Struggling Voice. This is where the audience become even more important, of course, than they are normally in an event. Um, in about 20 minutes, I will go to you formally and I'll ask you for responses. And in the old way of things, of course, I would say, can you please keep your questions concise and brief? Now I will ask you actively to extend your questions, of course, to fill the spoken time of the event. But we will reach a point when people engage with a major monologue about their own work that we have to ask that inevitable question, will you piss or will you get off the pot? And that's the point when the question is, of course, to be raised. We'll find out whether that moment is even encountered a little bit later in the evening. But I'd like to start, of course, um, in a way where Teresa finished by returning to Prague with my own contribution to uh, the Czech evening, beyond, of course, my immaculate pronunciation of the words good evening in Czech, um, with Nagel's Czechoslovakia travel guide. Now, this is an important guide if you were living in 1967, which, of course, we're not. Some of us are still stuck there. I certainly am stuck in 1967, wishing I was in the swinging London moment, of course, of that year. Um, but this is a wonderful guide to the, uh, to the, to the wonders of, of Czechoslovakia, as it then was, and to Prague. But you'll notice, if you're sitting in the front rows, that this should be returned at some point to the library at the Financial Times. Now, what's going on in the Financial Times is anyone's guess. But the point about this book, which in a way is to lead into the first question to Teresa, is that for me, certainly, and for many people in the audience, I guess, Prague is an incredibly magical, mysterious, and unusual city. And that, I think I, I'm fair, fairly safe in saying, is also how you found it growing up, Teresa, yeah? You grew up without knowing formally that you were in a magical city with all sorts of incredible histories and lineages of occult activity and, and strange surrealist activity in, in more recent times. But you, in writing and filmmaking and image making uh, in your earlier body of work, really engaged with the city that you grew up in, which you've now returned to. So given that we're talking about place, sensory encounter, and immersion experience of that place, could you give us a sense of what it was like to grow up in the late 70s, early 80s, in Prague, at a time when it was very much not what it is now, between states, as you mentioned about Trieste, what was your sense of the city and what do you think it gave to you that has led to, perhaps directly to this body of work? No, thank you for your question. And I think it's interesting that you're asking me about Prague because, I've, uh, as you would have noticed, I did not include Prague in, um, in my list of places, which I think is an interesting omission. And maybe it links up um, this what actually Deborah Levy told me when, I, when we were in Trieste. And she said to me, why are you making a film about Trieste? Why are you making it? And then she said, maybe you're making a film about Trieste because you can't make film about Prague. And I think she hit something mm -hmm. there because I think it's too close somehow. It's like too much part of me. I don't have the distance to look at it in that way. 
but so that's just a little uh, digression but um, yeah growing up in Prague um, in com communism uh, in the center of Prague right by the Charles Bridge was uh, I mean I suppose as all children you just take that as your reality so it was uh, normal but it was quite unreal now looking back at it uh, it was uh, is this most beautiful view of the castle so it was just very very sort of overwhelmingly beautiful dark as well at that time because everything was crumbling and run down and uh, gray and there were no tourists and no people so it wasn't but I didn't know any anything else at that point but there's a sense in, 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 the, in the early work that I mentioned that there's a, there's a kind of another space, a city behind the city, should we say, or inside the city, that you know, if you could just access it perhaps down that, that passageway or through that courtyard, that a, a reality would be revealed. And we find that, of course, later with your work that we saw an image of the perpetual, which is taken, inspired by um, René Dalmau's unfinished novel Mount Analogue, which finishes mid-sentence as the protagonists are climbing a mountain that is only visible if you will it into existence almost. It's concealed from, from the material world. So that sense, that tension between the material actuality of things, of course exemplified by food and our sensory encounter and imaginative projection that you talked about in your presentation is really mm -hmm. crucial. I mean, could you just sort of tease that out a little bit more? Because it seems to me that you're working in moving image, which itself promises, you know, to represent the world, but is also, of course, completely intangible. You can't hold it. Yes, yes. And I think that paradox, <laughs> of course, that was the beginning. When I did my PhD, looking at how tactility uh, can be evoked through audiovisual medium, that was kind of, yeah, like a paradox. Like you say, it's actually intangible. So actually the media I work with is not multi-sensory in that sense but you can you can evoke it and you can use the imagination and I think that's what maybe links with this idea of Prague and imagination it was a great um, childhood to have to grow your imagination because uh, it was uh, full of history now I'm also very interested in uh, in this idea of embodied memory so the memory that kind of resides in buildings and in clothes people wore and it's literally sort of radiates from there even if you can't consciously sort of understand it but it's there it's the atmosphere of places and uh, architecture and I think that's what I've sort of absorbed and then the culture of course and the influences like surrealism mm -hmm. and Schwankmeier of course. No, well, thank you for mentioning <clears throat> Schwankmeier. Thank you because um, you know he's such an important figure, of course, um, for you, but also in 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 wider world culture. But he's also em embodies, as you do, of course, you know this very distinctive meeting of of larger cultural themes and trends around you know the medium you work in and some of the uh, the objects of your attention with this very particular Czech focus, which is really distinctive in his work and of course in all, in your work as well so you know without wanting to push you too much on this idea of of the the original place that you are from and to which you have now returned do you really do you think in indivisibly of yourself as a czech artist or do you think of yourself as an artist who's czech um i don't know it's very difficult i think i can't 
just be Czech now after 30 years here. But I think, on the other hand, I think this sort of childhood <coughs> influence is like fundamental, isn't it? Like you can't undo that. So I think of probably more that than, yeah, I'm probably more Czech than anything else. Than anything <clears throat> else. And in terms now of, of thinking about this triangulation, which you very clearly laid out between place, the senses and food. Food, of course, comes from place. It literally, you know, is incarnated out of a particular location. Um, and our senses encounter that and, of course, constantly encounter the place that we find ourselves in. Now, that triangulation was not necessarily inevitable when you first started making this body of work. You moved, of course, to, to food later on. But do you think now of that, of that relationship as, again, as indivisible from your ongoing larger project? Can you break those elements down and still think of them discreetly? You mean the food and the food, sens food sensory encounter and, and place. We're thinking about place particularly tonight. Yes. But they also have very different and obviously, you know, potentially lifelong projects, um, you know, around them that you could follow. But now you've brought them very distinctively together into a, you know, a I use the word triangulation, which of course is a geographical way of thinking yes. about place. And I think that's, I think it is for me, they come together. I'm not really like food in itself. I'm not someone even who cooks <laughs> myself. So I'm only, I'm interested in it from a sort of imaginative sense. Uh, yeah, as a kind of, again, like an alien almost looking at something. It's not like, it's not a utilitarian kind of function of like, I just wanted because I'll eat and because I'm hungry. It's actually, I sort of look at food because it looks amazing and I can zoom into it and it looks like a whole world is in there and I just get absorbed. And uh, and like you say, and then landscape, you know, like the workshop that I want to run in South Bohemia, it's, it's about paying attention to the landscape through all the senses. And then, of course, the eating will be part of it. But it will be, again, this idea of paying attention to what we're eating because it comes from the landscape. And mm -hmm. it's nothing new, but it comes, for me, it's from this sort of sensory um, kind of angle. Thank you very much. And let's think, again, what you've just been saying and, and what we've seen in the presentation about the idea of scale, because you play really successfully with scale. You know, in some of those images, it was very hard to tell which scale operation we were part of there, whether on the plate or, you know, in the mountains. Now, that's a real pleasure, obviously, to, 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 to view and to encounter as an audience member. But obviously, as you said a number of times, you know, for you as a maker, really fascinating. Now, given that you, you've worked through this idea of scale, um, do you think of the world now in a fundamentally different way from when you say you started this project, that we are seeing, we're having encounters with reality, but at whichever level, whichever sort of tier or stratum we enter, enter the real, we're seeing, again, you know, versions of what we would see at different levels of, of, the, of, the, of the encounter? Yeah, I mean, I think the scale for me is very important um, because it, it links directly to the imagination again. You know, it links to me to Gaston Bachelard's Poetics of Space and this idea of uh, childhood. The children are able to play with very small things. And, and I think we've become often sort of obsessed with like monumental stuff now and things have to be big, to be impactful. And, and, uh, and actually it's the miniature that's, it's like a sort of infinite space that opens up and um, and I found it in the lockdown in the pandemic because I lived in this very tiny flat 
sort of really feeling claustrophobic that I get, I got obsessed with uh, miniature plants. I was buying like bonsai and I was making this like a miniature garden on my desk because that's the only garden I could have. And that's how I tried to escape from the claustrophobia household. <laughs> Thank you. No, ex exactly. Now let, let's um, go back to where you have been for obviously many, many years, which is where we are now in London. And what appears on the surface to be uh, a very, very different work, the one you started the presentation with, Wormwood. You know, we're, we're a long way from, from the garden, shall we say, the actual metaphorical garden. We're, we're finding traces of nature wherever we can, in weeds, you know, in, in the cracks in the pavement and the, and the industrial uh, landscape. Um, but there you really have made, again, a major encounter with your themes, but radically transformed. I wonder if you could just, again, take that a little bit further for us with Wormwood, because Wormwood itself is a very charged title that comes with all sorts of connotations and it's not by any means an accident. Um, and, and so when you first encountered that landscape, realised what was actually sort of just beyond you at the end of the street or the next street along, suddenly there was this opening into, you know, a world to be discovered. What was your first sense of that and then how that developed? You know, it was interesting because when I moved into Wilson Junction and I first took that long walk, if some of you know it, called it the rat passage and it was just really horrible I thought it was ugly it was scary I thought I'll never walk walk in the night here it's terrifying and then uh, of course as you live somewhere you start to get familiar with it and I actually started to really like it and I started to like the fact that it was industrial and kind of you'd call it ugly in some sense it was polluted but it had this sort of sense of space and openness, a kind of open landscape with these wires and cables and train lines. And so actually I started to feel very free in that space. And uh, so it really transformed the relationship very dramatically to the point that now if I'm in London, I want to go there. I want to actually go and have a look, which I would never even dream of before. And uh, and then, of course, these sort of repeated walks with Steve, um, looking at things very close up, discovering these sort of bits of nature coming out between cracks in the wall. You start to actually see <laughs> see very differently. And then I actually, I'd say the, the Frotage project, when we ramped <laughs> and we had to kneel down, on the floor and it was even better we got really close to the area through that now one of the key elements um which comes through wormwood of course which you worked on before the pandemic it becomes you know in retrospect now a perfect pandemic project that you rediscover your locality because you're limited to you know an hour's walk or whatever it was in the first lockdown you know you find we have to find um, the local and reimagine it um, but of course, it's as with your generational project, it's about time as much as it is about space and place. And, you know, 10 years now with, with the family project, but obviously a number of years with all of these and often with the single work, Wormwood was, you know, constantly regenerating project that took number of forms. Um, so could you think for us a little bit about, about how time works, both in the experience of the making and then, of course, also in, you know, in its... Um, dispatched to us as audience members, of course, through the screen. It's it's crucial, isn't it? Yeah, yeah no, that's a really good point. And uh, it is. I mean, I think 
like I really believe that uh, I mean you can do some really great things very quickly, but I think sort of real <laughs> investigation of something it just there's no shortcuts. You cannot shortcut it to sort of get to something. So it requires time. And uh, and I'm, even though I'm normally very impatient, I think by doing this sort of creative process of just going there and repeating things, it's been very uh, revealing. And it's sort of, uh, because it's constantly in a flux, it's sort of constantly changing. It's uh, in the same way with my four generations that the meaning that the film has now will be different in five years. Mm. And I'm, I don't know what the meaning will be in five years. And I like that. I like the sort of unknowability of it because I think what I've realized that I'm not interested in having answers. I think I'm, I don't, I can't set out on a journey and know where I'm going. I think what I'm interested in is uh, discovering things. And mm. that's what these time-based projects allow me because, um, yeah, it's like thinking process. This area, the wormwood, is it will get transformed, and it's already changing. The skyline's already transformed, and um, so yeah. Thank you very much. Um, this afternoon, I was uh, in conversation with the wonderful Czech photographer Marketa Luskacheva, who I'm delighted is here with us today, and we were talking about photography's ability or its inherent quality of capturing, of course, a moment of time, which then becomes a document, whether you like it or not, or intend it or not, of what happened at a certain point. And particularly with Marquetta's work in Whitechapel at a time of great change, very, very shortly after the time of photography um, in the Brick Lane area. And very interesting to echo and kind of um, uh, move that uh, same encounter with you across to Wormwood now in, in an area that's radically changing. So. Do you think, is it important to you to think of your work as, as a time capsule for the future, as much as it is for an encounter with the experience that you're obviously committed to very profoundly of the sensory immersion in the present? Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely, it definitely is. I think neither of those projects began like that. I think it really began just, oh, like, um, just fascination with, yeah, with the presence and with studying the area closely but as yeah as the as the years go on and it's incredible how quickly they yeah. how come it's already seven years that i've been working on the warm wood yeah um so and, and with the four generations it's it's i'm very conscious of the fact that it's a sort of um, yeah message in a bottle to, to some sort of future version of myself and uh, obviously the future grown-up daughters um, yeah. so it's yeah it's it's strange I mean we also need to think of course you know fundamentally about place given the ecological crisis that we are all in and place is changing anyway whether we're building tower blocks on it or not and place is threatened in a very real almost existential sense now our sense of it is directly impacting and and that of course is a feedback loop to how we think about what it means to be in place and what place might mean for the future. It seems to me that your project in a way is inherently an ecological project, even if it doesn't declare itself like that, because of its sensory encounter with place and its acknowledgement of that interrelation between the two. Um, but have you found yourself thinking, whether you declare it or not in terms of the promotional 
aspect of your project? Have you found yourself thinking along those lines and with an awareness of that larger pressure we all face? Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. Again, a question that obviously I've thought about many, many times in relation to my sort of preoccupation with the sensory perception and often with, with my friend Ross asking questions like, is this, is it too self-indulgent? How we like, what, what's the sort of meaning of this? Has it got any kind of larger meaning? And then sort of come back to this idea that, yes, but it's only through paying attention to to the world and yourself, your body, through all the senses, that you can kind of tune yourself to your environment. So actually, of course, it is. It is. It's sort of not very like. Um, it's very, very internal. It's very sort of small scale, but it is. Mm -hmm. It's. I think that's one of the ways to pay attention to a place. So. Exactly. No, thank you very much. Now we're going to open it out very, very shortly. But just the last question for now, I wanted to kind of just uh, put to you is this idea of advocacy. You're very much an advocate for a, a you know, a sensory, experiential, immersive, tactile kind of cultural philosophy of of being in the world, which you know you support through you know curation of events, um, through your journal online, and through many of the activities that you're involved with, and also with students, of course. So that idea of advocacy is, is, is crucial to any work that wants to obviously offer a distinctive proposal to the world. But do you feel that there is, I mean, of course, there is by definition, because you name some of them on this document and, and uh, they are declared elsewhere. But is there, a, is there a growing sense that this body of inquiry is something shared internationally? Do you have an idea that the tactile sensory, possibly led by food, is, is part of something larger than, than your own body of work? I think definitely this. Uh, obviously, I, I sort of I, I, I'm I'm drawn to those people, so I meet them and I'm aware of them. And there's a network, of course, of them. And actually, funnily enough, I've been invited now to Trieste, of all places, to the CISAL, this institute, research institute, there where there's going to be a workshop about uh, embodiment and spaces and places and sensory perception and there will be a discussion between philosophers and mm -hmm. artists and uh, so that's just one example of uh, of course there's many different there's like um, David House in uh, in Canada in Montreal very interesting in Munich there's also a really interesting mm -hmm. sort of research so, um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely, definitely. I mean, it's crucial the boundaries are breaking down between disciplines and not just between, you know, within the arts, but between arts and science, philosophy and so on, which is, you know, obviously how it needs to be. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. Well, now is the moment, of course, for thoughts, responses at a certain level of extension, but we will definitely bring the, uh, the curtains down on, on extended personal monologues. Um, but would anyone like to start? We'd love to hear from you about, obviously, this very rich and, and immersive body of work that we've seen presented here tonight and is also, of course, available to view upstairs in Teresa's installation until... Um, uh, it's been yeah, extended, I think. Extend, extended for some days yet to come. And I, I would have to say, of course, seeing it in person and also seeing it uh, in images, it's a much stranger body of work than the images would suggest. It's very a very strange hybrid work. Quite know, you know whether it fits any existing encounters that we would have with art. It's an installation, but it's also something much stranger and more hybrid than that, which is great, of course, um, as we would expect um, with this body of work. Um, any thoughts, comments, responses? Probably, yes, please. And will there be a microphone, Pavel? 
Is there a microphone for the audience? Shall we use, yep, let's use mine. Speak very close to the microphone. Pavel is recording on all fronts tonight, and who knows where it'll end up, yeah? No, yeah, yeah. Up, up there, please, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I was, um, so much, but I would like to start just from something you said um, about Wormwood and how um, you're now somewhere else, but you're still working on this project and you intend to go back. And then it struck me that it's disappearing in more than one way now, because for you, of course, it's disappearing as what it was since you've moved back to Prague and you're sort of quotidian, physical embodied encounter with that area has necessarily transformed. So I was curious, and from a very personal perspective, how does it feel to encounter this new way of dis disappearing of a place, you know, when it's not your uh, familiar place any longer? How do you re-encounter it? And um, does it in any way feel like another way of looking for a way back home. I know you are technically back to where you come from, but what is home after you've lived 30 years elsewhere? So does this search for uh, or inquiry, investigation of a disappearance, does it become in itself another way to look for a way back home? Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, that's really interesting i haven't actually been there i mean i've sort of passed through but i haven't been there yet to start filming it again so I'm, i can't quite tell whether how it will change but i'm sort of like i try to embrace <laughs> that idea i think okay so now i'm going to be a real outsider here where before i was more of an insider and that maybe will be interesting as well like what what is because maybe it is time to shift it now to a different kind of um uh, like a way of dealing with it. You know, I've done my seven years now of sort of going there. Maybe now to have an outsider view will be interesting. Um, it's funny because it also relates your question or your point to the Four Generations project, which was the opposite almost. So I used to always go back to check to, and do it. And I had this really sense of intensity because I was there for a short time. So I had to do the four generations. I thought to myself, but well, what's going to happen now when I'm there all the time? Am I going to lose this need to do it? And I still don't know actually what's happening with that. But I just think I have to sort of like, I think in all of it, in even in the bigger sense of my own identity, I, I just think I, I just need to embrace this sort of strange sense of getting to know myself in the new context almost. Like all along I thought I was Czech living in London. By going back to Czech, I realized that actually I'm not really a Czech in Czech. You know, what am I? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, any more thoughts, comments, responses? You can speak, of course, if you're Czech, even if you're not Czech, if you speak Czech, speak in Czech. Don't worry about those of us who are so ignorant, we have no idea what you're saying. Other people can help us on that front. So if Czech is your chosen lingua, then please speak it now. And it'd be great to hear some Czech anyway, I think, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, we're out of Europe now. We need to get some European stuff whenever we can, us lot. <laughs> Any more thoughts? Yes, please. Thank you. 
thing about the the south uh, bohemian landscape and the way in which it has some sort of special heightened sensory sort of thing for you. Um, I just wonder whether that's to do with the place itself that has the inter independent qualities of the place, or whether it's to do with your connection to the place and your childhood memories. So I was just kind of wondering, you know, is it something about it that actual? You know, what kind of territory is it? Is it farmland? Is it woodland? What's around it? What makes it? <coughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Thank you. And it's something I thought about a lot because, so it's not connected to my childhood memory because I didn't, uh, my parents only got it 20 years ago. So I, it's an adult relationship. But that's why I find it even more intriguing that I've developed this like really close connection to it. And then at some point, actually, I saw a documentary about an architect, uh, sorry, about a sculptor who lives somewhere, spends time nearby. And she and her husband, also an artist, and they talked about it um, from, from a sort of perspective of quality of light in that part of the landscape of, of the earth, you know, the, the way the landscape's probably laid out. And, and I thought, oh, well, maybe it's actually objective. You know, maybe actually there are some objective qualities that are not just me feeling really nice there, which, of course, I think there are also. So I think it's a mix of, like, a own positive sort of associations and, uh, and maybe some sort of um, more objective qualities. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I mean, that's a really good question, because how much do we almost construct a need out of a certain landscape and, and impose it onto that, you know, not in a hostile, aggressive way. And how much is it, you know, as the question suggested, you know, coming from the place itself, that tension is in a way the nature of art, isn't it? We're making out of ourselves through an encounter with reality and the question of, of, of you know, where the percentage shift lies in that relationship is, is the nature of how work changes, I guess. And for, yeah. you, and for you, it's changed quite a lot in, in certain ways in terms of that encounter from your own projection out and, and then the bringing in through food, place and, and the sensory perhaps. Yeah, and I think also like there's an element that sort of links with the Wormwood and with Prague that I think sometimes when things are too sort of either too spectacular or too beautiful or too impressive, <laughs> they actually... Um, it, it sort of like um, just take away any need to do anything, I find. That maybe sometimes places like Wormwood actually become more inspiring because they so imperfect in some mm -hmm. way. While Prague, maybe that's why I'm not doing any direct work with Prague because it's too, it's been on too many postcards. And it's just too sort of pretty. Mm -hmm. but, um, mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, two more questions from me, and oh, there we are. Yeah, great. Thank you. And then we'll we'll move towards a a formal close. Yeah. Thank you. Hello there. Um, I was just wondering how the prism in Wormwood Scrubs how that fitted into your perceptions and experiences, and how that changed over time. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because the prison is in the... So the, the film at the moment, I've edited the footage. It's a feature-length film, <clears throat> which has been screened, uh, premiered at the Whitechapel. Um, but the, the Wormwood uh, prison 
we sort of obviously walked past it many times, but I never directly filmed it until after I've edited this film. Um, and yeah, I mean, of course, it's a it's a very strange presence there. And my friend Stephen, he's sort of been telling me he's he sort of researched the area a lot, so he's been telling me these sort of stories about what happened and and it's just been. Um, so it's not something that I directly, because the film that I've made is not like a documentary, like a direct sort of documentary, but it affected the sense of the, of the, for example, the Wormwood Scraps, this open space, which is like a really great sort of park, open landscape, but I can't ever feel in it that, oh, it's like a nice landscape or a nice park. It's actually, there's the prison there. It's very, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm losing my voice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, just one last question now, formally, really, um, to, to bring, you know, to bring some of these elements together. You know, the, the, the exhibition upstairs, the installation is you know, very much a project out of the pandemic. And you, you know, you spoke earlier about how that came about. Um, but you've also just mentioned this idea of, you know, the generational project. Now that you're, you know, in in back in uh, the Czech Republic full time, you know, possibly taking on a different quality and one you're not so sure about. So the idea of restriction, of limitation, of forms of exclusion, which of course the pandemic put on all of us, but also your, you know, your prior visits to the Czech Republic being much less, also imposed on you there. What is your sense now, right now, going forward out of these projects? Obviously, Ophelia can continue and she will find her way, I'm sure, through other worlds as time goes on. But do you have a, a strong sense that now is a, a kind of before and after moment for you with, the, with this show, but also with some of the other projects coming to a certain kind of culmination? Do you see a new direction sort of developing? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a very good point. It's... Uh... And I feel that I'm in some sort of liminal space right now on some sort of threshold that I'm not quite able to figure it out. And uh, and I think I'm just sort of waiting it out. Uh, I don't feel frustrated with it. I'm quite excited by it. And uh, yeah, and I do actually have one sort of project that I am brewing, which will actually involve Prague. And it will be a sort of combination of uh, Exploring it in the method of Wormwood is repeatedly going to a certain part of Prague, mm. working with like sensory sort of workshop method with people, inviting general public and and getting to know a place in a very kind of in-depth mm. way through all the senses, but a very contained part of Prague, not like, a, yeah, it's like a very specific yeah. part of Prague. Tremendous. Well, thank you very much indeed for coming today. Do stay in touch with the Czech Centre, of course, on the panel there in all the ways you know how, all the various channels. Of course, keep um, up to date with the ongoing events programme at the Czech Centre, both in the building and across the city and beyond, of course. Huge thanks to Pavel, of course, on the tech tonight. Um, multiple fronts. It'll go out. It's already going out live right, uh, right now, and it will continue to go out, obviously, on all those platforms, as you know. Many thanks indeed to Prem, to Renata, everyone at the Czech Centre for making this possible. As I said, thank you very much indeed for coming. There will be a chance, I think, for more informal conversation a little bit now. But before we do any of that, please do thank Teresa Stelikova. Thank you very much. Thank you.